Hey, Mind Theater listeners, special episode today. I had a conversation with Jordan and Giffen from the podcast That's BS, and together we analyzed Fight Club by David Fincher. Uh, hopefully this is a welcome change of pace from the usual essays as it's more of a traditional conversation or discussion, where we tackled some of the movie's themes such as masculinity and anti-consumerism, and the link to their show will be in the show notes. You could also expect another essay for next Monday as well. So, uh, without further ado... Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. Well, yeah, uh, for, before we begin, thanks for suggesting this, though. Uh, this was a... Uh, um, well, I guess we can just we can discuss the movie, so we can we can just get started with it. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was, I thought it was a good movie. Um, it was definitely. <laughs> I, I I don't know about you, uh, or you guys, but I I um I was kind of resistant to watching this. A couple of people had told me it was like a good movie and stuff, but it was one of those movies where kind of the wrong people had told me it was a movie they liked. So I was like, <laughs> oh, I probably I don't want to watch it. But it was like totally unrational to think that because um, Ao, you you recommended this. When did you first watch it? Uh, only like a, a few months ago. Uh, okay. Fin- Fincher is one of my favorite directors, and I kind of had to do my homework. So uh, obviously, I had, I had to watch Fight Club. But mm-hmm. I feel like often, kind of Fight Club is reduced maybe to like a, a caricature of itself or like to a parody, like the way it's referenced in other pop culture and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Which I think is what you're getting at with the way certain types of people were recommending it to you. But... Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true. I just thought like the way everyone kind of like painted it to me, they were like, "Oh, it's like a, it's like a." I don't even know how. It was just like it was a lit movie or whatever. Like it's it's. I mean, it is. It's a, a very gratuitous movie. Um, huh. like they they really go over the top with um but it's not it's it's purposeful you can tell but with the violence and the language um and and even the music it's all like a very it's a very it's everything it is but more so <laughs> you know um, yeah it's just really like kind of visceral experience i feel like yeah yeah i oh it's during co- a couple of the fight scenes i had to like uh, like almost look away for a second because it was just like ah uh, when people's teeth get fucked up that that's oh, when dude. I'm like oh yeah uh, it was hard to watch um <laughs> yeah I can stomach some violence but not gore <laughs> gore yeah gore is different yeah <laughs> um so I while because I, I watched the movie in two parts between last night and this morning I finished watching it um and I have some thoughts on the movie um that we can kind of use as a structure, but obviously, Ao, if you have anything that you jotted down, um, uh, obviously feel free to interject that at any point. And same with you, Giffen. But um, right. I, I thought, yeah. So, so on the gratuity note, I thought stylistically it was interesting too, though, um, because like the uh, the one the one use of graphics that struck me as interesting was when he was going over like it was in the first couple of minutes of the movie his home IKEA set. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all the prices and stuff were like listed. They kind of popped up on the screen. Um, it was like catalog vision. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> C-tier and, superpower, but good visual effect. And wasn't there one scene where they broke the fourth wall and he kind of like he talked to the camera? Um, it was like in the middle of the movie. I don't remember the significance of the scene. Um, but he he and then and then there was the flashing of the frames. Um, mm-hmm. Remember, like Tyler. Well, yeah. So there's. We should. I guess we should go over the plot a little bit, right? Um, so, I don't. Ayo, do you want to go over the plot? <laughs> yeah. So basically, we have. He, he doesn't technically have a name, but Ed Norton's character, the narrator, is this kind of mild-mannered guy who is, is uh, a bit obsessed with consumerism. You know. He's sifts he sifts through like IKEA catalogs and he's obsessed with stuff in a way. But he's also battling like insomnia and kind of this inner depression. So he starts going to these different kind of groups and therapy groups for diseases he doesn't have. And it, it kind of escalates from there where he's trying to find, I guess, some sense of purpose and he finds it in this guy he meets Tyler Durden. And that's where 
kind of fight club eventually like kind of begins after that meeting mm-hmm. yeah and and so they like you know it, you you go most of the movie thinking that it's these two guys who um and this is a spoiler alert obviously but um I, yeah if you haven't watched the movie um get your free like seven day trial of uh, of hbo or whatever and just watch the movie and then come back and finish listening but um yeah so they uh so there's these like two guys like ed norton's character and then tyler um durden uh they they like start this fight club um and it grows and it grows into this like really cultish thing um and they eventually begin to move to sort of like you know, they're getting their adrenaline fixes from things other than fighting, like they're committing vandalism and, and petty crimes. And it moves uh, to more extreme and more extreme, um, you know, ends until until the the kind of the climax at the end of the movie um, where you find out the trick. Um, but you know what? I Let's actually uh, there's a couple of things I want to discuss from the framework that you're given for the 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 majority of the movie which mm-hmm. is that reality is as it seems um and the, so the one thing that at the beginning of the movie that struck me as uh, it was almost a th- i almost kind of saw it as a throwaway line but i i and especially in hindsight after watching the movie i'm not sure what i think about this now um when he was going to those support groups um that he he didn't actually have the afflictions um the the requisite afflictions to go to them for he said losing all hope made me free in the Mm -hmm. testicular cancer group did you guys take that as him losing his own hope for for something or was he sort of was he was seeing others lose their own hope the thing that set him free Uh, if you want to tackle this first, Giffen. Well, do my best. <laughs> Frankly, I don't remember exactly that scene, so I'm mm. not sure if this was was this a narration or something that he said to the group. No, no, this was a narration. Remember when he said that he he like it was the first time he kind of allowed himself to break down and cry, um, whenever he the, the, that large guy was hugging him, right? Bob, Bob, yeah, Bob, yeah, yeah, pressed yeah, uh, Bob. Um, <laughs> Remember, he said that like he said that he was able to finally just kind of like release and let go. And he said, losing all hope made me free. I I was kind of struck by the fact that I didn't know if he was referencing somehow if that made him lose his own hope or if he was sort of taking not pleasure, but almost refuge in in like empathizing with these other people who had lost their own hope. Yeah, I think there was definitely some severe catharsis he was gaining from empathizing with people who didn't you know who he didn't share the affliction of (laughs) um and i think that line that you're describing where he like losing all hope set me free is kind of an internal thing obviously kind of triggered by the the um people around him in these groups but definitely an internal thing but you're kind of right in that it didn't exactly at this point, we don't really get enough to really understand. And it almost seems like this comment might've been, um, you know, in hindsight, what is it like anachronistic? Like, mm. like it was like him reflecting back almost. Oh, you know what I mean? because like, we don't really yeah. see him lose all hope necessarily. We can like imagine that in this scene, like he does kind of just internally, you know, allow himself to cry by accepting some sort of lost hope. But really, it's by the end where the meaning becomes clear. That's fair. Because, because, um, Ayo, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the entire sort of narration is done from that scene in the beginning, and the entire narration is sort of in the past tense. He's explaining stuff as yeah. it happened, not as it's happening, right? Definitely, because at that moment, he's more so like, I guess, reveling in the idea that these people have it worse than him, and that gives him comfort and solace. So the voiceover, the narration at that point, I think he's more reflecting on the idea that, yeah, that at that point in the movie, he's he has actually kind of lost hope and mm. he's achieved a, a, a different version of freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there there is and it sets up it's sort of the first iteration of this um 
there's this concept of sort of um, of of this juxtaposition between so so he you know so let's let's just lay it out for a second um so he starts this fight club with tyler and it initiates because those two kind of said like oh i've never been in a fight before and they kind of get into this like test fight or whatever and they kind of like it Mm -hmm. and they begin to fight like once a week or something and then more and more like guys join them and they they start this fight fight club and there's there's this juxtaposition between like fighting and the rest of his life um, in the beginning of the movie because it's it's you know it's super different. He says he like fights every Saturday, and he feels like a different person um, the rest of his like day to day life. Like he goes to work, he's kind of he he's he's kind he's portrayed as sort of beta male ish. Like he's very um, un he, just just kind of um, he's not effective in in what he's doing. Um, and it was just, it's interesting that he tries to kind of lose himself in fighting and that, that replaces the way that he tried to kind of lose himself in these, like in these support groups. Um, and I just, I I thought it was really interesting that when he starts fighting, he stops going to the support groups. Um, what, I, I don't know. What did you guys, what did you guys take away from that? Um, was it like filling the same void or was it just, he was too busy to like do both. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but at least at the beginning, he only fights on Saturdays, whereas correct, the support yeah. groups are uh, <laughs> seemingly daily. <laughs> well, there's different multi- ones, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. so many of them, and like yeah. they end up at some point, um, like it's like iterated as shortly. I think it's shortly around here where the female character is introduced whose name is escaping me Uh, marla marla Marla. thank you yeah Yeah. (laughs) so but at some point whenever he has a conversation with marla they're like splitting up the days and they're going through like well there's probably one every day of the week at various times possibly some days multiple so it seems like it's not really a matter of um not having enough time necessarily but Mm. more of he gets such catharsis from you know that that one day a week or whatever he's you know pushing towards every work day that mm. it seems to have slipped his mind perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and she, you know, what's funny is I didn't make a note to talk about this, but she's an interesting character because correct me if I'm wrong, but she's the only female in the movie, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. But besides, you know, name. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's interesting that like this is an extremely masculine movie in the sense that mm-hmm. I I don't even know a female that's watched this movie. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> so um, audience and cast. Uh, yes, exactly. And and it's funny that she is even given this extremely male persona, right? She she um she has like short hair. She dresses um like kind of masculine like like she wears a tank top right it's not even really female attire she um, wore a like, dress in like one scene but that's fair that's fair but but she's sort of you know dirty and and she acts masculine um right and i guess it's just interesting that like i i, I <laughs> it's weird i i don't know if i think all of these these themes that the movie hits on are very masculine themes of it's all centered around this this kind of concept of being untested, right? Um, and that's where like the Fight Club begins, uh, is is this concept of like of I don't know. Like, have you guys ever felt this in your life uh, where where you're not quite? And it doesn't have to be fighting, I guess. But this is like the the most you know primal distillation of the feeling. But it's like you don't know what you could do. And and the not knowing bothers you more than if you couldn't do uh, as much as you thought you could, right? Do you ever do you have examples of any of that? Hey, you can take that. Wait, <laughs> I don't understand the question. <laughs> I, I was uh... just asking if you had any like examples of of a time, or even if it's currently something that you feel like you're untested in, um, uh, like, like a level of, I guess in this case, like physical. Uh, yeah, it doesn't have stimuli to stimuli that I haven't like. 
that I, like mm-hmm. I haven't experienced before or yeah like it, it doesn't have to be that like I, I don't know for for me I'm thinking about um like so so I I uh wrestled in high school and <laughs> it's it was a really I I really look back fondly on the experience because it was this sort of um it was this really great uh example of knowing precisely what you can and cannot do to another person of about your mm-hmm. size and about your strength right um and you know b- before it was funny like you never i i never felt any sort of like aggression towards anyone who i wrestled with because it all sort of got settled on the mat right it was sort of weird to 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 take it off the mat and it, it's really it was really similar to fight club in that sense where you know you would see like people like beat the shit out of each other and then they would hug right afterwards right <laughs> or something yeah um, but i was just I, so i was curious if if you guys had any examples of of something that you were untested in and then were tested on or if there's something that you're still untested um that that you're like sort of um like unsure of your capacity in uh, I'm not really sure, but hmm. I, 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 the, I do want to talk about something, I guess, kind of similar to that uh, concerning Fight Club. But I think it's I think comparing Fight Club to sports is actually the proper analogy. It's it's hmm. kind of like this. They're the, the all the people who are members of Fight Club, they kind of sublime their anger, their depression into this kind of the physical, most animalistic way they can, which is you know, they're fighting. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, they, the narrator, he talks about how how you know, these people, they're your bus drivers, they're your nine to fivers, mm. you know, and then, but in Fight Club, they get to be just like the most kind of innate, hungry, a- angry versions of themselves. And, and they channel mm. the anger, the, the anger that they have for their boss in, into Fight Club, because, you know, you can't fight your boss, but you could, you could kind of duke it out in the ring here. So mm-hmm. I think that even that kind of divvying up between the, like, the two worlds of like, regular society and you know coming into the fight club i I think that's a kind of interesting kind of way that you know even in our kind of um, our modern day the way we use sports to kind of channel our anger or channel channel some sort of rage or Mm. you know no it's a great point and it's funny because they they the movie really shows that life is this weird kind of it's not arbitrary but we all sort of just agree verbally that we're going to suspend the possibility that it that it goes into a fight, right? Like, like we, there's no, there's no real reason why you couldn't just fight someone at your office. But <laughs> for the fact that we've all just kind of agreed, like, you don't do that here. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and it shows that, like, um, I, I don't know. So this, this is, and that's a great point, Ayo, because it brings up something that I was, um, I wanted to ask you guys about, where, this is there's really strong references and allusions to to um like acceptance right or or buddhist philosophy um or even stoicism where the entire point of like fight club is um you know you all kind of gather to do this thing that's really counterintuitive that any of them are willingly taking um um, like taking on willingly as this thing that they're doing, right? Like it's like it's it it's so stupid for so many reasons. Like it's medically stupid, <laughs> it's financially stupid, it's uh, interpersonally stupid because it seems to ruin their relationships with everyone else. But yet they're all getting this like weird. Um, <laughs> they're all getting this like weird pleasure from it. Um, it, like, did did that part appeal to you guys at all, or were you just sort of like, did you look at that with repugnance and disgust? <laughs> <laughs> Giffen. Well, um, I like understand. I agree that like when you try to write down the balance sheet, it doesn't really quite add up, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you do see some scenes in the first half mostly, um, <sighs> where the narrator is kind of going through his daily job and like slowly he just kind of releases himself from like the expectations normally you would Mm. have like he he stops wearing a tie he's Mm. 
at, at towards the end he just like doesn't even have clean clothes he's like wearing like a white shirt kind of um unbuttoned <laughs> Yeah, like he looks kind of sloppy. I think there's a blood stain on, the, on yeah on his collar. Yeah, yeah. It's just like he doesn't care. He like his boss comes in and like as the boss is talking, probably a reprimanding. You just it's just kind of like the sound just kind of fades out for us, and mm. you know his face is just kind of like lost. Sometimes like the narration might kick in. He's like, um, I was just waiting for Saturday, something like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I wasn't drawn. I'm not ready to start a fight club. Um, <laughs> yeah. What are you doing I, tomorrow? I do, yeah. I do kind of understand. I can at least try. I can at least try to sympathize with like the nine to fivers, you know, who kind of would severely benefit from like taking the anger and aggression or whatever emotions from like one place, like the workplace, mm. where you can't really, you know, fight the emotions themselves there. Yeah, but to bring those somewhere else, kind of like a it's probably the exact opposite of what it is, but like a safe place. Like, well, <laughs> this is where you take those things and you can deal with those things without involving the other people. Right. Mm-hmm. So I understand like that dynamic, um, but it and we'll probably be getting to that shortly. It kind of becomes more than that pretty soon. It, it, um, it does. Yeah. Like Towards the last third, I'm not sure how much fighting we even see. There's almost none. Yeah. But, what, but real I'm going to myself. Yeah, I was going to say before we get into that, though, so I'm I'm curious, um, obviously, there, this is like a counterfactual to something that doesn't exist because this is a movie. But um, I don't know. Ayo, I'm curious what you think about mm-hmm. did did you view the movie as hmm, did you view the movie as him starting Fight Club because I, I kind of see it as maybe one of two possibilities, like he could have started Fight Club because of the lack of meaning in his regular life and this thing gave his life meaning or was it because he needed an outlet to sort of like giffen was saying dissipate these emotions um or is it some combination of the two i think it's kind of a combination i think that Mm. it club has to stem from him creating this tyler durden persona you Mm -hmm. know he I think one of the quotes from the movies or a variation of the quote is that Tyler is like cool in all the ways that Ed wants <laughs> Ed Norton's character, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like at a, at a purely kind of like instinctive level, I guess like he creates this Tyler character to kind of live life in a way that he can't. It's almost like rather than kind of ease into this idea of trying to change who he is, he almost has to do it in a very snap kind of judgment kind of thing. And I think that the way the movie kind of describes it is that during his trips of like narcolepsy slash insomnia, mm-hmm. that that's when he becomes Tyler. Like when he wakes up and doesn't realize how did I get here? You know, he was tired. You know, those brief kind of periods. So mm-hmm. I think that Fight Club is just born from kind of his Tyler persona wanting to to kind of vehemently reject, um, you know, the capitalist kind of slave to the white collar kind of idea Mm. so like one of the quotes i have here from the movie was uh this idea that you know his generation they're the middle children of history with no purpose or place no great war great depression their great war is a spiritual war their great depression is their lives so i think that almost like you know to tyler he's almost like a like a priest preaching to his congregation in a lot of ways like the way he (laughs) kind of talks says the rules of fight club every time and like the way this Fight Club becomes almost like a, a commune, like a living, breathing kind of machine. Yeah, that's a that's a really great quote. Um, and that's you know that was one of the re- the reason why I asked you what if you thought it was more the meaning crisis or like a a, a a release of his emotions is because I I viewed it almost entirely as a meaning crisis for him, um, because he. It was just it was it was weird that he um and I I, got, I it it's funny that it seems like this is I mean you know we talked about how this is such a masculine movie but it seems like this is something that haunts I I don't I obviously I can't get into the experience of what it's like to be a woman but it just seems like this is maybe more of a problem for men is this like we don't have like Tyler said obviously not that like a great war or a great depression is a good thing to live through but there is this sense that like 
you know, I think there's a quote from Ed Norton's character. He was like, you know, once once you've fought, everything else has the volume tuned down or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's this sense that like um, that men especially, but obviously, you know, I just I can't speak to the experience of a woman in today's society. We don't have the challenges that men quintessentially have had most generations before us. Um, do you know what I mean? Like every every generation of man has kind of had like a war or or something that they fought through. Yeah, I I don't know if this question was directed at someone in particular, but no, no, I have some thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's true. I think you can basically just look at the history of like gender roles, mm-hmm. um, where you know men would fight wars, they would be the breadwinners, and kind of in the middle transition period which we were kind of in right now and we were in in the 90s it's like the roles were kind of like evaporating a bit you know um mm-hmm. so previous generation it's like you learn about great men and what do they do they're like they fought wars they defended their home they you know saved lives and died trying mm. um we can't really there's no when when there's no great war um you know the 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 role the goal the mission that like is taught in adolescence is unachievable. So it is a meaning crisis that comes from that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think the traditional women's gender roles um, are more like homemaker. And that mm. hasn't really the capacity for that hasn't changed. Um, mm. We're trying to find like this discrepancy between like the, you know, you know, gender based angst. That's probably what it would be in my mind. That's what comes to my mind. Like we don't have any great war where you can go and fight and become a hero. But mm-hmm. women who traditionally have, you know, it's like, well, you you make a family, you establish a home. You can still do that. It's not, you know, hindered. Yeah, yeah. And, there, and no, you're right. And there's this weird there's this weird paradox, too, where it's like you want <laughs> it's funny. You want sort of like you want the guarantee of something that's unguaranteeable. You you almost sort of want to have had something bad happen in your life. But of course, you can't really get that without taking on the risk that it's actually going to go terribly wrong. Right. <laughs> but but sort of, you know, how like can't like cancer survivors always say that, um, you know, I, I I they, like a lot of them. You'll hear these like uh, almost almost gratitude that they had cancer, right? Because they're like, it you know it just put everything in perspective, right? Like how stupid it is that we waste time on X, Y, and Z. And you'll hear people talk about that in war. They're like, it was the most meaningful time in my entire life. You know what I mean? It's just like I it was a terrible thing to go through, but I'm a better person and a stronger person for having endured it. And it's almost like you want you want to have gone through something like that, but obviously going through something like that, you can't have the guarantee that it's actually going to work out like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. You want to have the experience, like the knowledge yeah. gained from the experience without having to go through the experience, which is a paradox <laughs> because obviously you have to go through the experience to, to get it. Yeah. But, but the people who come home in body bags obviously don't feel that way. Right. So it's like, um, it's a, it's kind of a, it's I, I don't know how to resolve that. I mean, you you almost do have to sort of roll the dice in some sense. And and I don't know if either of you have any thoughts on this, but it seems like, you know, kind of an underlying tone in the movie is we are rolling these these die uh, all the time, but in a less profound way, right? Like, you know, we could we could get cancer you know we could have a cancer diagnosis tomorrow or i don't know like right now we could die like there's what like a 0.8 percent chance of dying of covid 19 right now um and but it's not it's not it's not the same salience as going to war right because i don't know like i have no idea what the death rate is um for soldiers who like went to afghanistan or something but you, you like most people came back right and it's it's sort of it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, I don't know, surviving this pandemic is not going to give you the same perspective on life that surviving a war would give. Right. It's just not the same. 
Um, it's it's obviously due to partially the fact that you don't have to do much to survive this pandemic, right? You actually have to do nothing. That's the best way to survive it is to not do do anything at all. Um, yeah, I don't know. That just that part that part just really struck me as as really salient. Um, so okay, so all right, I have a question for um for Ao then. Sorry, I rambled. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was just kind of thinking out loud. There, there were um, so they like. I think you you talked about this a little bit in the plot, Ao. But they they kind of developed this like weird, uh, very cultish um, society, right? And and they begin to do things like you know they kind of there's scenes of like they're cleaning the house, they're kind of toiling in the backyard. Mm-hmm. They're um, they're making soaps and explosives and all these weird kind of you know chemical agents, and that was another allusion to the like the Buddhist philosophy and Stoicism. And I'm curious if you think this that that sort of those those scenes of everyone working on the the compound almost were was that a distillation of Buddhism and Stoic philosophy to you, or was that like this very very perverse perverted uh view of of buddhist philosophy where you know you want to to do you want to find you know meaning and pleasure in disgusting menial work and you want to accept pain willingly and you want to simplify your life right you hear all those teachings did you view this as a showcase of what can go wrong with that or what can go right uh i don't have uh, too much background knowledge on buddhism in general but Mm -hmm. my perspective on kind of the way their revolution builds up is that uh, at least the way I kind of viewed the movie, I felt like it was trying to show it this almost false sense of enlightenment mm. from Tyler's perspective and from the members of the fight club's perspective where they're building up this revolution. And I, I think their, their ideals kind of coincide a little bit with mine, like some certain anti-capitalist, certain, uh, certain ways that they're approaching the idea of consumerism you know, mm-hmm. but I feel like you're supposed to almost read the way Tyler's describing it as a little bit, maybe thin, a little bit like not mm-hmm. nuanced in a way that maybe the revolution is more so an excuse to be primal and do dangerous things than it is mm-hmm. really about effective change. And I feel like that's where, like, at a, as you know, they call it Planet Tyler, but at a certain point, like in the last kind of third of the movie, when Tyler dips out a bit, like, <laughs> the thing breathes on and lives with, kind of without him. So like, yeah. You know, no, uh, that's a really good point is it, it does. It comes across as a rationalization and a justification for doing stupid shit. Right. <laughs> like, um, <clears throat> you know, you, you, he, he uh, and, and I don't know, like I to be honest, I was kind of rebellious as like a teenager and I did share a lot of like that kind of fuck the system thing right that they that they did and obviously like i never got into vandalism or or blowing up like buildings yeah exactly like i never i never took it that far but it's funny that you know i you wonder you wonder to what extent these people just wanted to do that anyway and this this rationale just kind of it comes in post hoc um or, or if it's or if it's you know um I wonder if the like I don't know to what extent do you think these are normal people who get caught up in this crazy time in this crazy place or were these people very psychologically unstable in the first place and this is how it happened to express itself I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that Hey, do you have any uh, uh I don't know I think that's an interesting question I think I think just the the way we kind of look at Fight Club, I think it it really is trying to say something else and Nate mm-hmm. like Sardar. So mm-hmm. maybe the perspective that the film is trying to give us is the idea that like these are just you know like they they keep kind of getting to this idea that these are just regular people. Mm-hmm. So like Ed isn't regular. He you know he's in a certain state from the you know, the beginning of the movie. But I feel like the idea that all they needed, I think it's about like society has these certain rules and all they need is a certain person, a certain voice that could say, 
like fuck the rules you could do whatever you want so i think that mm. that kind of idea that hey you could do whatever you want that kind of leads to quote unquote like be free lets them like throw out all their kind of societal rules out the window and pursue something you know that's you know more dangerous and not as like structured yeah yeah which brings us to sort of like the second half of the movie which giffen you you were like beginning to talk about um but do you want to go over the like the rest of the plot that i left out me yeah i can sure yeah let's see (laughs) if i can recall it entirely um where did you leave off exactly I, so I guess I left off at the point where they sort of develop this like compound almost and they're all working okay. on sort of like more more deviant behavior. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's at a certain point in time you have Ed's character, the narrator. Um, he like kind of keeps waking up and he's there's like a couple scenes where the house that was just like dilapidated. It was just um, the, the narrator and Tyler living mm-hmm. in is starting to have more people getting like mm. um, initiated into living there. We see like, um, I think Rusty Bob is like the second character who we see like <laughs> lining up and trying to, you know, take the, mm-hmm. uh, whatever the you want test, to take the yeah. pill, take the test. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of like a significant change because the house that was basically empty, except for, you know, Tyler, the main character, and then occasionally um, Marla, is now full of people that we really like some of which we recognize from fight, like, you know, this fight club scenes, some of which we don't There's like a lot of people living in this, in this place. And this is kind of a transition where like the narrator Ed's character starts to kind of lose understanding of what's happening. Exactly. Like he was, he seemed to be very like conscious of whenever they were initiating people, like at the very beginning, the first two that came in, like he took it like an active role. Um, he was like talking to the people being initiated. But then like at a certain point, he kind of wakes up and the house is like swamped with people. He kind of mm-hmm. like stumbles through the house. He looks around. Um, there's like he sees like plans laid out mm-hmm. on like walls and like files and papers. He goes into like a through a door that says war on it. Mm-hmm. And it's like this war room with people like, you know, sitting at computers and looking over paperwork and with maps and like all these kind of plans drawn. And he kind of looking like uncertain at what's going on and he kind of stops i think this is about the time where he stops seeing like tyler eventually like he's mm-hmm. like he like loses tyler um so he basically sets us on this mission he's like like where's tyler and like no one you know no one can really answer him exactly it's kind of like an odd phase so he like it just kind of goes and like collect as much paperwork as he can. He's like traveling to cities that he saw around the house that he had <laughs> been to. He's like following, like seemingly just, <laughs> just behind Tyler. Um, but, but like just out of his fingertips reach, right? He's yeah. all these different cities he goes to all cities, which have started their own bike clubs. We, we hear, mm. um, and at a certain point, this is like kind of the the probably the climax of the movie um, mm-hmm. is whenever he's in like his hotel room. Well, I guess that's that's the climax. But right before that, he goes into like a bar or something mm-hmm. and he's talking to someone and like the the bartender or whatever is like kind of confused because like he recognized the narrator, despite the fact that the narrator just walked in. Yeah. And the, the, the rub is that um, Tyler and like the narrator Ed are the same person. Uh, Tyler is a projected individual from his like subconscious. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like name actually is Tyler. Like Mm -hmm. other characters address him as Tyler. He just has successfully in like subconsciously separated the two personas. Mm -hmm. Um, And he has this kind of encounter with himself in a hotel room where like he kind of he's having a conversation with Tyler. But, you know, it's a conversation with himself. Mm -hmm. Um. And that's kind of like the the pivotal pivotal point because we we realize that Tyler caused the explosion of Ed's apartment, which was kind of like the catalyst. But yeah, yeah. you know, in the light of the fact that they're the same person, it's kind of like a self inflicted catalyst. 
and mm. we, we kind of get this picture of um he and this is actually laid out in the dialogue which he in which he converses with his other self the fact that he needed he was unable to kind of make the changes he wanted to so he mm. constructed this ubermenchian character <laughs> everything that he wishes he was or like kind of deep down like wishes like almost like devi- you know deviant yeah um, born extreme. of his insecurities yeah. yeah it's like yeah exactly and so in st- in the film in the first half we're led to believe that like you know, Tyler's kind of taking the initiative here and like um the narrator's just like a follower right just like a close follower like one of the first but just a follower but we kind of see flashes of scenes where it's like from from the correct perspective right of it's just him doing the things that he was seeing Tyler do yeah. like some of the more extreme things um where even in the scene like the narrator Ed was kind of just like looking on at Tyler yeah. doing it. it was kind of like a little bit more extreme like uncomfortable for him to watch but it was like oh that was him doing it and mm. this kind of um spirals out um into him realizing that the this new direction which the fight club had taken um which is project mayhem which is like the thing that he was kind of unsure about what was happening in the house um like Mm -hmm. was escalating towards like large crimes like arson explosions um Mm. and he real he kind of like has this moment of clarity where he's like okay it was me but that means i can like i can stop it like i'm piecing it together i see like what's happening Mm. Um, and he sets to stop the explosion that are supposed to happen like that night. He goes yes. to a hotel, I believe it is, a garage, some yeah. some large building. Um, you it's know, like an office building. To, it's like a yeah, skyscraper, some sort of, yeah. Some sort of skyscraper. He goes to the like basement garage, and he finds a van filled with explosive that he has been making. Um, you know, his other persona has been making, and he is like trying to dismantle it. But at the same time, he's having a dialogue with Tyler, who's himself, about, like, he's, Tyler's, like, egging him on to, like, go through with it. He's like, you need to trust me. I haven't led you wrong so far. And then, kind of conscious, Ed is like, we're blowing up a building. We're going to kill people. Mm. Like, this is, this is not what yeah. I want. He says that straight. He's like, I, this is not what I want. Yeah. And they have, like, a fist fight scene, which is a pretty good scene because we it's intercut with like security camera footage of just yeah. him fighting himself or him yeah. throwing himself downstairs <laughs> um and in the end tyler's character overwhelms like conscious narrator mm-hmm. and we wake up and we're at the top of like a skyscraper again overlooking other skyscrapers mm-hmm. like and it's like this glass wall we can see the other skyscrapers and he's is he tied up? Is Ed tied up in this scene? No, think. he's not. He's like no, sitting he's... in a chair, just you know, he was beaten by himself. Yeah. Um, and Tyler's sitting there. And eventually, as after they as they converse, some of like the Project Mayhem lackeys come up and they bring <laughs> Marla, who he had previously tried to protect. Um, yeah. in what had to have been an incredibly frustrating scene for Marla, who had been encountering <laughs> um two personas <laughs> of the same person yeah um and basically what it's um it, this is like i guess the the very end of the movie is actually before the lackeys now that i'm thinking about it, before the lackeys actually bring up marla in the conversation he has with himself he takes the gun um which he had projected into tyler's hands he realized it was his own hands and then he looked down and he had his gun mm. and he tried to blow himself um he got kill himself. Yeah. He like took the gun in his mouth. He pulled the trigger and he kind of blew through his cheek and jaw. Yeah. A bit. Yeah. It was like unclear, <laughs> but Tyler kind of died. He killed that persona in this act. And you see like Tyler had was blown out the back of his head, but apparently Ed was still okay. Cause he was like talking. <laughs> and he, yeah. And he scene. Marla, I, never, I never understood that part to be honest. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, yeah. That, that part seemed <laughs> like, a bit a fantastic. It kind of broke yeah. the rules it set up, but. Yeah, I think he was trying to convey that, like, this act somehow allowed him to kill the the persona who he didn't anymore like. But it it was confusing in the moment because someone puts a gun in their mouth and pulls the trigger. You don't think they're going to survive. I thought he was going to, like, collapse over after he saw Tyler collapse, right? Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Blackies come up, 
Um, they're kind of aghast at the fact that he's he's bloodied and seems <laughs> to have just shot himself in the yeah. mouth. Yeah. Um, he stands with Marla, like holds her hand, tries to comfort her somewhat, and then all the buildings around that they're like overlooking mm. collapse. It, which is like what he had rigged himself up for to happen. Yeah. And yeah. I hope that was a coherent explanation. It's it's you know several layers of difficult to explain because the two main characters are the same character. Yeah. So no no it, it was yeah I hope that covered like the pivotal aspects pivotal pivotal scenes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree with I agree with what you said. A that that ending, it, there was something really problematic with it because. Like, I just didn't get I didn't get the significance of like if he didn't die, then in what sense did he actually vanquish his like his his um, doppelganger? Right. Like, I just mm-hmm. I, that part seemed a little hand wavy to me. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, the ending. It. The, <laughs> I almost thought I almost thought they kind of like wrote. I feel like that was I, I wouldn't be surprised if I were to learn that that ending wasn't actually what the writers chose, you know, if like someone put that in there, cause they were like, we got to kind of make this mm-hmm. a happier ending, you know? So yeah, the kind uh, of visual, yeah. If you want to go first, sir. No, you can go first, <laughs> please. But yeah. I think they really like that visual with, you know, uh, Norton and Marla at the very end with the, the credit card union buildings blowing up and yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So I actually just, check the wikipedia page before um signing on and i think mm. the book that this was adapted from had did have oh. a different ending oh um, so it, it might have been a case of they wanted to slightly shift the ending and they wanted to kind of use some of the visual effects weight that they had behind them just to mm. make the yeah. final scene with a nice explosion <laughs> yeah well what was the difference in the plot did did he like it, i think he goes i think the if I remember the Wikipedia page correctly, I'll pull it up. It was like he went into a mental institution. Like that was, that oh, was how it ended. Okay. See, that makes more sense to me yeah. as an ending. Because it was it was too neat. It was like he had that kind of, he like looked to the side. He was like, you met me at a really bad time. And it was like, <laughs> it was like, what? Was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Like, how the fuck is that going to? She's like, oh, okay. It was like, what? Like, <laughs> yeah she was it was like oh like no like okay let's let's get a house like honey like let's go sign a mortgage now it's like what like <laughs> the demons are gone let's go home <laughs> yeah it was like you just blew up like fucking like 10 buildings like you met me at a bad time in my life like <laughs> that line is supposed to fly over <laughs> i i was a little incredulous at that scene i'm not gonna lie and also yeah. it's just like the, the remember when the um the <laughs> The police chief called and he was like, is Tyler Durden there? He's like, he's like, no, who is this? He's like, it's a police chief. And, he's, oh, and he hung up and then he just he just like traveled the country, like trying to, try to figure out what was happening. And the police chief like never caught up to him again. It was like, what? Like that that part made me a little that that part made me realize I was watching a movie a little too much, too. It was like he's like, well, he didn't want to talk, Sergeant. <laughs> Let's run you out of it a bit. It did, it, it, but but I mean, uh, those were the two sort of more more movie critiques that I had of it. Um, <laughs> That's fair. I just I remember I, having a yeah. moment like that whenever he's like after he and I actually forgot to include this in the plot synopsis, but he actually ends up going to the police to confess to the crimes. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, kind of like as he this is like immediately after he realizes what he had done. Mm. Um, he goes to the police and he basically lays out to like um, the chief there everything that he had done in in meticulous detail. And he describes um, I thought it was actually kind of amusing. He's like, there are cells across the nation in all major cities capable of in, like operating independent of central command. I was like, <laughs> Jesus, yeah. he's not talking like he's very being very like clear and straightforward for someone who he himself is claiming to have done all of this terrorism. Um, and yeah. in the room, the chief kind of is like, no, taking notes. He kind of like stops, like, I got to call someone. And he steps out of the room. <laughs> and there's like a bunch of other like police lackeys there. And they start like commending him on his like ideals. But like, and 
Ed well, they they, they were like, part of the, his organization. Exactly. They were part and of Ed on the yeah. Project Mayhem. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Ed doesn't yeah. realize that at first. He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and they're all like, you know, they like, wink. Yeah. <laughs> there's this odd scene where um, they're like commending him for his bravery. And they're like, this will send such a good message. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, you, you told us that if, you know, we were going to, we were not going to let this, you know, anyone stop this from happening, including you. And then, like, he, like, is basically begging, like, trying everything to get them to not cut off his balls, I think. Is yeah. What the oh. scene was. And, like, the, the lackeys are kind of nodding, like, you said you'd say that. Yeah, it was like, oh, that. shit. <laughs> and, like, what is happening? Like, like maybe uh, this will bring it back to the previous conversation. Um, but in terms of like whether these are just like everyday people or like disturbed people that are drawn to this, these are like three or four police officers. They're like high up police officers. Yeah. Too, so presumably, yeah. Some of this gives me evidence that it's supposed to be like it is supposed to be your bus drivers and like people everywhere who are drawn to this catharsis, mm. and then worse. Um, I don't know. I, I forget what the original question was at this point. I I think we were just talking. Yeah. Um, no, that that's I wh- what you said though before when you were talking about the plot really struck me as interesting because you said um you said that he and you're right but I just hadn't really thought about this um he sort of created Tyler because he wasn't strong enough to to escape his life himself right and it's really weird because i've read uh, i've just i i'm kind of i've read and and heard from a lot of people who um had a really radical change in their life right um and um what's really interesting is that it seems like it's almost always an external event that makes people change like like I was uh, talking about earlier with maybe like a cancer diagnosis or a near death experience mm-hmm. or, um, you know, like a, like a, like a panic attack induced by working too much or something like that. And it, and it's, it's these external events that usually jostle people from the routine because it kind of makes sense because presumably if they were like a very strong internally motivated person, they wouldn't have allowed themselves to fall into this life that they hate in the first place. Right. Um, mm. and it's funny. It's just what you said, Giffen was super interesting because he almost constructs his own external event, right? Well, I mean, he does like he yeah. blows up his own, he his own, uh, apartment. Yeah. And, uh, it's weird. You know, this, this movie was a, a kind of a case study in, in, I don't want to put it. <laughs> reaping the benefits and the benefits are in scare quotes there because obviously it's not, uh, not healthy, but the benefits of something that you almost can't, you don't, you can't have, you can't have full confidence that it's actually going to turn out right that way. You know, like you want, you almost want to get a cancer diagnosis, but, but be sure you're going to beat it. But, but at the same time, not be sure you're going to beat it until you do. So you get the full emotional impact. Right. Like I, it, that, this movie was just a weird kind of, um, I thought it was a really cool investigation into that. Um, yeah, I I can kind of empathize with that. Like mm. where you're at a position where you can kind of recognize problems, maybe even articulate them in detail. But yeah. like you just aren't strong enough, willing enough to actually pull the trigger and do it. And yeah. you, I think you're right that a lot of the times, you know, even after recognition of the problem, even if they it goes on for a while, and you still have this idea, but it's just not a, you know, you just can't attain it. It is external triggers that kind of can carry you towards that or carry you to a place where you have this in the emotional, mental sense of freedom to direct mm-hmm. yourself, which in reality you had all the, all along. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that that's interesting. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's weird because, you know, it's, it is funny that, you know, I, like Ao, you were kind of mentioning this. Like you, you said that you, and I agree with you. I share some of his leanings where um, he's talking about how, um, you know, Tyler is sort of a distortion of this. But it's, you know, a lot of what he says at the core of it is kind of mm-hmm. true, right? Like we, 
we do live in this weird arbitrary system that fetishizes stuff like having matching furniture and um you know having like a, i think in the beginning he says he, he he almost finished his suit collection or something like that and it's just like that is so stupid but yeah but we all do sort of have like you know to one extent or another things in our lives that we care about for but for no other reason that other people care about them <laughs> right and it's this like house of cards that the movie shows when the house of cards falls you're not really worse off for it right like there is i almost feel like there's a there's a benign version of this movie and it's just called backpacking around club. europe <laughs> club. just club <laughs> well like the, the more benign version of this movie is just called like um taking a year off taking a gap year before college or taking a gap year before college and work <laughs> to find or, myself yeah yeah, yeah. It, finding yourself or or you know saving up money and actually taking a real not a vacation but like a trip where you do something hard or like you go work for doctors without borders for a year or like you know I, I don't know what's that big changes yeah and it's just like it's so strange it could have that... been some other external event that yeah kind of yeah the catalyst rather than creating fight club yeah exactly and and, I... and... Oh, sorry giffen no i was gonna bring up because this is something that i thought was interesting is because the the film kind of gives us kind of two arguments right there's the anti-materialist mm. kind of argument you know the anti-consumerism argument and then there's the anti extreme anti-consumerism right because <laughs> at the very end of the movie like yeah. in the scene that is kind of not the best <laughs> when like he ends up killing tyler it's like that is kind of him rejecting the extreme anti-consumerism extreme anti mm. um you know like the the fringe that caused him to commit like violent acts you know mm. that aren't necessarily immediately related to getting some stress relief from work <laughs> um yeah. so I, I thought that was interesting how it kind of rejected something and clearly outlined like some empathizable reasons um you know that where we probably do value things too much but then it also has to kind of at the end reject the bad rejection of it in, mm. a, in a less than elegant scene perhaps <laughs> yeah yeah no the um the theatrics of it aside and you're right i think it's a good point that i i almost take the the lesson of the movie not that you have to distill it into a lesson as saying you know it's it's in and ao i i know that you might not be as familiar with this but we did we did a couple episodes on nietzsche's work um and and you know to give into the audience um Gosh, shit. I don't even know what numbers those were. Given were those in like the sixties episode, like sixty something? I can't even remember. I'm gonna um, say sixty nine and roll with it. Sure, um, but it, like the, it kind of alludes to this message from Nietzsche, which he's saying like he's saying reject these arbitrary external values, but don't get too caught up in your rejection of them either. Right? It's sort of like do things not because they're anti something but because you're really pro something else do do you does that make any sense yeah yeah definitely it's like being anti large group of thing is just as stubborn as being pro yeah. thing without any yeah. reason mm-hmm. no you're yeah that that's spot on um, I think the idea of the dangers of establishing your identity on being anti something rather than you know being for something. Yeah, I yeah, that's the major good phrase. Kinda, yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's 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 a good point. Um, okay, so we're coming up on almost an hour. Um, did you guys have anything you wanted to talk about um, that we haven't talked about yet? Because I that hit everything on my list. Uh, yeah, just kind of one thing that. The reason I really love kind of Fincher's movies is it never it never really has to do with like the plot of the movies. It's more so just like the visual styles. And we're talking about it a bit, but I really yeah. love just the way he approaches certain things like his pans, his zooms, like 
the certain way he uses like space within a frame and like the way the characters kind of interact with each other in terms mm-hmm. of like their movement throughout a scene like that's more like tactical stuff but mm-hmm. I, I do yeah, what... really appreciate what he does in terms of visual effects mm-hmm. yeah I, do you... I don't think i'm in a place to appreciate it quite <laughs> as well as you are but i definitely did see some some moments where i could understand that it was contributing to like the emotion i was feeling pretty strictly um mm. and like the thing i can think of is like some of the the scenes where it was deliberately a little bit too close to the fight that was happening you know Ugh, it was like we were getting yeah. like we are we're right in the ring yeah, yeah. Like, we are the person bloodying someone almost and it's like yeah. very it was good because it did exactly what it like was meant to convey it was like put us yeah. in the uncomfortable position of you know punching someone to near death yeah yeah you know that it's funny there 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 was a lot of um there was a lot of kind of views from the underside or like upside down where people's heads were coming down into the frame like either mm-hmm. during a during a fight scene or during the interrogate or um um sort of assault of that uh that police figure the city official or something right in uh, which the bathroom. is yeah in the bathroom yeah, yeah. Which that that's interesting that he does that because it's almost sort of like a very um, it almost puts the viewer in like a very docile um, position, right? You're kind of seeing someone's head like descend onto you and it, it puts you in the position of, you, you know, I, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it's it's sort of he might almost use like the different camera angles to kind of make you vacillate back and forth between the feelings of being in charge and being not like Ed Norton is with uh, Tyler. Um I don't know if that was um, his intention when that, when directing it, but I can I agree. I guess I don't know if it's accurate, but I agree because it wasn't all the scenes, um, but it was clearly when like those really hard to watch scenes showed mm-hmm. up. It was you know paced well within like what we were supposed to be feeling in the you know the narrative of the like of the movie, right? Yeah. In yeah. a lot of scenes, we we can step back and see fighting where we're a little bit less personal at times where we're not really supposed to feel maybe the same way the we did in the extreme cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Um, okay, cool. Well, if there's, uh, if there's nothing else, um, I guess we can, we can close out. I'm curious, what, what grade would you guys give this movie? Um, I would give it a B plus. I think the ending ruined it a little bit too much for me. <laughs> what about you? Well, I was going to give it a B plus, and then you said okay. B plus. And my, <laughs> I think my reason is um, I think this was geared towards the angst of a generation that I'm not a part of. You know, I was mm. two when mm. this was trying to pick at the angst of like 20-year-olds or 30-year-olds. Um, huh. So I, I kind of recognize that I don't quite, you know, I, I'm maybe not perfectly the audience in that time but i still thought it was like i still understand what he was trying to get at so i'm i'm willing to give it a b to b plus okay hey yeah uh i definitely agree with that kind of b b plus range the ending you know a little too cute and then <laughs> uh it didn't completely kind of encapsulate its themes like perfectly i think in terms mm. of I, I don't know certain things that got lost on me in terms of its angle about you know masculine pride or Mm-hmm. certain things like mm-hmm. that so yeah yeah, yeah we that, make I mean, club now <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I, I was gonna say that's a, that's an important uh we didn't discuss this but ayo you're right this is a um th- this is a, a showcase of of what it can be wrong with masculinity also yeah, absolutely. Um, but giffen on that note though before we close out what what would you change though um about the movie if you were to remake it today <laughs> Well, I would I would punt on the remake on account of the fact that I am nowhere near qualified. But if I, if I <laughs> imagine what I might do to ruin this movie um, or make it better, um, I don't know. Um, I would I would j- just try to take into account. We have like a vocabulary that's developed in the last twenty years about mm. kind of the male angst and like toxic masculinity and positive mm-hmm. masculinity that we really didn't have then. Um, mm. So I wouldn't necessarily just like put the words in, but I would kind of try to make it so that the audience of like 20 or 30 somethings now, especially like who went through the Great Recession, 
would mm. be able to like you know it would tap into that more specifically because even in 20 years you can definitely just make some shifts or cultural reference shifts a lot of things just to make it for the analogous audience today that's what i would yeah. do that's not very actionable but it's that, that's the, the goal that's what everyone should be working towards sure yeah i wonder i wonder what you could do with social media in remaking this movie because obviously when I, I don't know ao do you know when this movie was made it was like it seemed like it was the 99 90s. which is kind of okay. interesting that's turn of the century we didn't really talk about like i guess y2k maybe that also fed into the identity of this movie this idea of like uh you know the changing of the times uh yeah a revolution kind of on the outskirts about to come up but, yeah. yeah 99 yeah yeah, I mean, what I was, what three when that when that came out. Yeah. So I, you know, I I wasn't. Bored, I get so. <laughs> I get most of the references, but obviously some some are probably lost on me that I didn't even I didn't even recognize were lost on me. Um, okay, cool. Well, um, Ayo, thanks for uh, suggesting that we do this movie and uh, and setting this up. All right, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, and uh, to all of our listeners, um, check out. Um, Ayo's show, if you're listening to this on uh, on my feed or Muckraker Media in general. Um, so thank you all for listening and uh, tune in next time. Oh. Motherfucker! You hit me in the ear! Well, Jesus, I'm sorry. Ow! Christ! By the ear, man. Oh, I fucked it up. Oh, that was perfect. Oh!